some of them. You're wasting all your time and money on models. Paint what you have. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Model Club TV, episode eight. Eight. We got enough fingers still. That's awesome. Still. Still. Uh, how are you today, Scott? I'm fantastic. It's October. It is October. We started this back when? When did we start this? June? Was that our first episode? It's crazy. (laughs) Still going. Uh, We're a little late on this episode. I want to apologize to everybody. We were waiting for an interview with Matt Lawrence and that came through. So that's who our guest is this episode. Uh, I think everybody will kind of like it. It's there's some really cool things to look at. We try to hit the first of the month. This is the first time we're late, kind of out of our control. We wanted to really get this one, uh, make this one happen. So yeah, I hope it was worth it for everybody. I don't know if anyone's noticed, but look, I have background on my door. Everyone's been giving me shit about, you need to hang something on your door. So this is this creature from the Black Lagoon print that uh, showed up on my Facebook feed and I bought for like $15 or something. Very cool. And, um, so I stuck that up there just so there's a little more going on back there. And if you hear the knocking on the door, that's my dog trying to get in because he's mad that I've got him locked out of here. <laughs> Dogs. Who needs them? You probably do. Okay. Anyway, moving on. News and reviews. Uh, we need an intro thing for that at some point. But news and reviews. I think our news first news item of the day, new AFM issue came out. Looks pretty cool. I have not actually seen it yet, but it is out. Uh, um, that piece on the cover looks amazing. Oh, it's gorgeous looking. I can't yeah. wait to see that inside there. Uh, but those people, most people should start seeing that pretty soon showing up, uh, the weird issue that they're having. And if you read the editorial, uh, no longer available on newsstands, kind of scary, um, still available in comic book stores, correct? Yes. I believe, um, diamond is still distributing it. Um, I actually got my Godzilla issue at the comic store, which I was afraid I wasn't going to get because that hit right at the start of the COVID thing. But uh, when I went, and what's your favorite comic book store, Scott? Amazing Fantasy Books and Comics in Frankfurt on Lagrange Road. That's my favorite too. (laughs) They owe us money now. They should give us some money. Although I have gotten free T-shirts before. Oh, that's right. I never got a free T-shirt. Anyway, so new way, yeah. So they're not they're available in comic book stores. Um, They're working on more digital content to come out uh we're gonna try and get terry webb on next month in november to come on and talk about future of the magazine where they're headed what's going on how it's going uh it's been you know i'm sure it's a rough road for them with covid and everything going on so it'll be interesting to hear terry's take on some of that stuff so we are working on terry to come back for a november episode and we'll see where it's going and Dave, if you're watching, get some more of those PDFs up for sale because I'm getting bored. Okay, so, <laughs> well, I, I when I was talking to Terry the other day, they're having trouble. And I don't think everyone realizes this. Uh, it's not as simple as copy and paste. It's the way some of those things were saved mm-hmm. originally. Um, data over time, depending on what they're saved on, corrupts. So some of those things are missing. So it looks like they might have to even just scan some issues in. And so... It, yeah, I'd love to see all those available on PDF, and let's hope it gets there. Let's hope it gets oh, there. A quick news item. I do have a quick news item. 
Yeah. I think it was uh, two weeks ago Saturday or three weeks ago Saturday was the 50th anniversary of the first going creature features here in Chicago on Channel 9 WGN. So for all of our Channel 9 WGN Chicago viewers or ex-Chicago viewers, um, yeah, that was kind of cool. I watched that as a kid. I remember. I totally remember that. But and the other news is Daddy's got a microphone. He's got a new microphone. Yeah. Oh, can't wait so that was fun feedback. teaching Scott how to work a mic. Yeah. But yeah, I no, think- that's cool. Hopefully everyone kind of notices the upgrade in sound <laughs> this one. Uh we both have brand new mics. I had one the last one. Scott's got a new one now. Scott, had a new camera last time, so, so I, I'm good to go. Yeah, we're rocking and rolling. I think we're good for a while. There's some other little things I want to upgrade, but that's going to be a while. And Had my teeth cleaned. I'm doing um, that tomorrow. I do need a haircut. Yes, you do. For those of you watching, this is not Neil DeConte. Um, I'm here. So, so I, all right. Further along in news and reviews, what's our next thing you found? And this is on one of the Aurora groups. I'm not on any Garage Kid groups, but I'm still on some Aurora groups. And I hope I don't pronounce this guy's name wrong michael berglund um painted and photographed all of these um classic 13 aurora model kits monster model kits and has made a calendar i say it's 21 or 24 dollars um check out his webpage or go to i'll see if i can't post the info or give you the info to post in the information for the episode yeah we'll get it in there i just thought it's really cool i think he says they're going to ship in november and um yeah just uh, kind of cool yeah and coming up next you have, we have a luke and tauntaun oh uh, actually no that is han solo or han solo sorry and tauntaun, i'm looking at the I little did. thumbnail and that is by a gentleman named david stan and um stan arts s-t-a-n-n-a-r-t-s okay. and i have a frankenstein bust that he did it's just beautiful and this is partially cast, and I think some of the parts are 3D printed as well. And I, I don't know what he sells it for. I just thought it was cool, you know, for years. And now, again, the Star Wars guys kill me. I don't know how accurate it is, but it looks cool to me. You know, so it's... Um, but I'm sure it's pretty good size. You know, my guess would be from looking at it, it's probably pretty good size. While we're on Star Wars, I have some Star Wars news. I, a dream came, a little boy's dream came true this week, actually last Friday, uh, back in 1994, the best video game in the history of video games came out and it was TIE fighter where you pilot TIE fighters around it was a sequel to the X-Wing game. And ever mm-hmm. since 19, 1994, I wanted a sort of sequel to that game. And last week, a game called star Wars squadrons came out where, it's completely updated graphics. It's done for VR, which I don't have yet, which I totally need to get now. Um, and you fly starfighters, X-Wings and TIE Fighters, and it's gorgeous. It's hard. I'm, I'm playing with a joystick and a throttle, and I feel like a giant nerd. And anyone else, pick it up. If you're a fan of the old LucasArts games, it's it's got the same mechanics, and I keep... I'm blown away. I'm so happy by it. Is it available on the platforms, the PlayStation? It is on, yeah. It's on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. I think my, 
I was just I just got my ass kicked by some people playing on on consoles and I'm on the PC and I think that's because I am using a joystick and it's a million times harder. But get it. Like I I have to get VR for this thing now. Um it looks really cool. It, the sound is awesome. The ships that are in there. My only thing is that it's a little light on content. It's a really cheap price, but I hope in the long run they add more ships, more cool things from other parts of the series. The game kind of takes place after the Battle of Endor, so you're kind of between the new trilogy and the old, like Mandalorian timeline, it looks like, maybe. So um, mm -hmm. pick it up. If you like Star Wars games, it's great. If you're a TIE Fighter fan, it's awesome. The other Star Wars news I have, and this is going long, is the TV show Rebels, which is a cartoon. I finally started watching that, and I'm almost towards the end of it. Please watch that show. If if you were like me and you put it off because it looked too kiddy, there are some really great Star Wars things in there, and it really ties in some things between all of the Star Wars. It's it's so well done. Like I almost I almost cried the other day in one part. It was really don't. It was sad. Someone died, and it was really sad. So anyway, that's enough Star Wars news. That Han on Tauntaun looks really good, and we'll continue. With the, uh, the, the next piece I saw online that just it really struck me. Um, Paul Gill has a line of hammer busts that are all really nice. They are all sculpted by Jeff. They're really nice. Um, and to me, this one just really stood out to me. And it's the uh, I believe that's Chris Lee as the mummy. Again, I'm not a hammer fan, so don't shoot me. But um, I just I, I looked at this piece and it's just really beautiful. I, I just think it's really nicely sculpted. I think you can find there's a figure model group on Facebook that Paul runs. There's Gilman's Garage on Facebook. I think there's Gilman Productions. Or get a hold of Paul Gill himself on Facebook. Um, he's on the clubhouse too. Um, I think he's Graybeard on the clubhouse. And uh, I don't know how much the piece is, but... Um, it looks really good. It really it, does. It's just a really nicely sculpted piece. Um, I think anyway, so yeah. I, I liked it. Kudos. All right. And this next one, I, we both agreed on this when we were going through the things we found. I think right. this is the one that stood out to me the most too. So this is Goodfellas resin. Angelo Valletta, I think it is. If I'm wrong, Angelo, I'm sorry. Kick um, him in the shin when you see him. Angelo is the same guy that put out the Willy Wonka kit. Goodfellas resin. And I think that, I think they've done some other kids as well, but this is just the uh, rendering, and there's some other shots of the rendering that you can see with the detail on the um, front of the uh, shirt there, the elf outfit. But yeah, um, it's Buddy the Elf. I mean, that's awesome. Buddy the Elf, yes, and it really is. And I'm not a Will Ferrell fan, but do not let Jamie hear you say that. Do this not. is one of the only movies he's in that th this movie cracks me up. Uh, it's a good movie. Is, he, he he was so over the top. Um, yeah, it, it just this movie cracks me up. This will be a fun piece, I think. Yeah, it looks good. It's been a while. Next one is um, this is a witch replacement head, Salem witch replacement head, put out by Pestilence Labs, uh, Mark Worthling, sculpted by Jeff Yeager, and I have to say the witch is not one of my favorite Aurora kids. Okay. And mainly because the head of the original is so horrible, but this is really nice. This fits really well. On it makes there. it look, it makes it look a lot better. It does. Yes. And that's uh, Anthony Aranjo did the paint 
build up on that. Who's that and, guy? Um, he's trouble. You don't know Anthony Aranjo? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. He's a Model Club here. veteran. Of course I know him. Here out to here? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. He was in Model Club. Okay. And my next uh, little thing that I uh, saw, and um, I talked about the two other Wacky Racers kits that they're re-releasing, and they are also re-releasing this one, the Creepy Coop. Styrene kit collectors will know this is one of the harder styrene kits to get in that series. The first two that they released are the easier two. Then there's this one and the Peter Perfect Turbo Terrific. So I'm assuming they're going to do that one too. Those were the four that were done. And this is available on uh, Steve Iverson's site, Cult TV Man, for pre-order. And uh, I'm excited about it because years ago I gave my set of these to Ed Bowkley. Um, and uh, what'd you do that for? Because Ed's my friend. Oh yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. And then we have the and those are so that's all the new stuff that's that's uh, coming out. Um, I mentioned Jesse's Dracula kit for his Halloween nightmares. Um, a couple episodes ago and showed the picture of it. We got a sneak peek of Jim Capone's fantastic paint job. Alex Gorgeous. I can't wait to see the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, Jim really nails it with these. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, the more I see this thing, the more I, I think I'm going to buy it because it's just. You have to uh, now. After all the talking about it, you you have to. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> We'll Jesse, see. he's going to buy it if he doesn't. I've just become yeah. more selective about what I get to sit on the shelf in the box now. Yeah. So, um, you know. Yeah, what happened to retirement, man? You were going to build stuff. Yeah, I know. We're working. The next photo is something I found, and I showed you this, and I remember when I showed you this, you said, this is awesome. So this is from an Angel Fink kit. And this guy took this, and I think there's fiber optics in it. And stuff. I forgot. I think it was one of the Aurora boards or plastic kit boards that I am still on. But I just thought this looked so cool. Um, nitroglycerin, nitro, and just the exploding, yeah, you know, stuff in there. I, I just think it's well done. It's gonna, like great job. I can't wait to see the completed kit. And uh, when he posts those pictures, maybe I'll send them and we'll give him a shout out to his name. If you're watching, I'm sorry I did not grab that information. But we will give you credit because that's, yeah, we'll get it uh, up there. Do you have any more news and reviews? I do actually. I got some stuff in the mail, so let's have some fun. Hold on. Ooh, it's a it's it's the it's like the postman just it's, got here. It's show and tell. It's show and tell time. So the first thing is not really a review, but it's kind of cool. This is probably the first Aurora kit I have bought in forever, and the reason I bought this and, one and is, what is that? This is a hunchback of Notre Dame. And the reason I bought this is this is one of the kits they reverse engineered polar lights. Yeah. And Move it to your other side. There you go. Sorry. You're, there you're blocking go. your new microphone. We got to learn how to use it. This is one of the kits that they um, re-engineered. And I guess people have told me there's some slight differences and where a lot of the reissues are out of the same Aurora molds. So it was cheap enough. I said, you know, I, uh, I want to pick this up. Eventually I'll sell the box because all I really want is the kit. And there's actually people that collect these boxes. It's not a great box. It's got a little ding there and stuff. But um, what's a box uh, go for? It was kind of cool, though, to open it up and see all these old Aurora colors and the instructions and all that, like the old days. What's a box go for? Empty. Oh, I don't know. It depends. 
maybe cheaper, maybe not even worth selling. Who knows? The other thing I got, uh, Cult TV Man, again, great customer service. The Atlantis reissue of The Forgotten Prisoner of? Castel Marais. Whatever. Okay. And um, what I was really impressed with is the condition of these boxes. I mean, look at it. It's perfect. Yeah, it showed up really nice. And it's really got that old Aurora feel. Um, And they even did a little story in the back about it, which is kind of cool. And um, Godzilla is on the way. Um, Cool. And what I did see about the Godzilla is they molded it in a very similar color to the original Glow Godzilla. Was that purple? Oh, I did. We didn't talk about it. Turquoise. Turquoise. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, that's what I was going to tell you. I went and I checked mine. It is, it's the old, it's the purple. It is. is, Yep. So it is an old original. Okay. The other thing I picked up from monsters in the woods, John Deary is this beautifully sculpted. Boris Karloff as the son of Frankenstein. I really like that. And, um, I want to say it's supposed to be one six scale, but I think it's bigger. So let's see. I, We're gonna I've only down. built one son of Frankenstein and that was from Mike Falsigno. And it was the three so this figure is, set. This I is want 14 inches. 14. I don't know if you can see, cause I'm in the way. Yeah. But anyway, it's 14 inches tall. Well, if now, you guess what a six foot person is supposed to be 12, 12 inches. Yeah. So that might be about, so it might be a little bigger. I mean, the monster is supposed to be taller. And I'm yeah. gonna stop, so it'll focus. Oh, I got out of focus all of a sudden, Jason, what do I do? I don't know. Oh, there back. it is. Okay. Yeah. So, um, cast <laughs> See, are really nice. He can't even work his own camera still. This is hollow. It's hollow. Um, What's the price on that? I, 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 I you yeah, remember? 175, okay. somewhere in that area. Got a nice base with some chain. Okay. Cool. That's a really cool piece. And then along with that, um, John has done a series of, um, quarter scale busts for the Universal Monsters, and I have them all. And the last one he did, um, he sent me. And I'm going to show it here in a second. And it is the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, that's cool. That's and good. And again, another Jaeger sculpt. And I, I don't know if I can get too close without it going out of focus. We might have to get us each a second camera to do this stuff. Um, <laughs> that's our upgrade. We're going to each get a, a second, nice get you a second camera so we can do close ups. Uh, I showed the creature that I painted in the first, in the one episode. Yeah. And uh, this is really, it's a nice set to pick up. And, you know, the thing about bus, and we covered this, that's something you clean up and you could maybe even paint a day, just, you know, screwing around. Yeah. So, um, and again, Jeff did a knockout, bang up job on this. Um, really cool. So um, that's all I got. Hey, that, you know what? I think that might be our best news and reviews. Since we started, we actually had stuff to show. So, because you spent money this time. Yeah, I have some stuff on order um, from the gentleman that did those cartoon kits. And they're actually going to be 3D printed, though. But, okay. Um, I have some stuff coming. Uh, the Snagglepuss that I showed, the uh, Quick Draw McGraw, and the um, George Jetson walking the Astro, or Trelfaz, for those that got it. And um, so hopefully I'll have those next time. Excellent. Let's move on. Let's move on to the workbench. 
What? I think he's working on a secret squirrel too. Oh, a secret squirrel. So if that turns out good, I'll probably be buying that too. Excellent. You, 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 you're, Hey, your cartoon dreams are coming true. Someone's making your stuff. Yep. I just, you know, I hope to cast, I don't know much about 3d printing, so I don't know how much cleanup will be involved or anything like uh, that. There shouldn't be much actually. So you might be happy. Yeah. Like I'm going to build it. Uh, you, you should, <laughs> you should, you promised me when you got, you were going to start building some stuff. Well, when I see stuff like that nitro. Yeah. Um, that's just very inspiring because that is just such a, it's an Ed Roth kit. It's an old Ed Roth kit and it's just such a basic kit. But when you see somebody take something like that and just do something like that to it, it just really knocks it out of the park. Yeah. You know, and that's just a styrene kit. Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, so we're going to, we're going to see a lot of that. I think with what our interview does today too, what Matt Lawrence does with some of this stuff. Oh yeah. Um, Let's move on to uh, the workbench. Scott, have you built anything? Have you made anything? Have you created anything? Hmm. No. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, no. I don't think so. That's for another day. Okay, so I did. I feel like I've been building a lot. I have not been. I have not done a little painting. Worked on my ghost a little bit as far as paint to the point where I was start to was gonna start working on the body. It's impossible to show on camera, but I was gonna paint it in pieces. But I decided to put them all together because of the way I'm painting it. And I noticed I built it. I don't know if it's the kit is engineered that way or if I screwed something up along the way, which is probably what happened. But there's a gap kind of between his the back of his chin and his beard where his neck should be. So I'm gonna have to putty that in. That's one little thing I've been still working on. I got to do, but what I've mostly been building is I got, uh, just Warhammer terrain. <laughs> this is, sounds crazy, but you see these sprues, there was about like eight of these and these are like solid plastic and it's to build different game terrain pieces. So it's cleaning up edges and sanding. So that's been taking a lot of time. Been working on those the most. Um, I did pick up some modeling materials. Uh, I wanted to talk about, it's not so much a modeling material, but I got some FOMO that I wanted to try. And when I first opened the, the thing, it felt just like model magic, which if you haven't used, it's real squishy foam, white stuff. And I was like, knowing from work that that stuff is very, very fragile. I was like, there's no way this stuff's going to work for what they say it is. So I looked quick, went to YouTube and typed in FOMO versus Model Magic. And someone did the same video I was thinking of doing where they compared the two. And Model Magic cracks in half, basically. This has some flex to it. Um, it's great for making, it's used for cosplay to make like rivets and bolts and sword hilts and things so that are not very heavy when you make them. I think this stuff might be really good to build out base area without a lot of weight and then putting like a coat of AVs over the top of it. So I'm going to give it a try for a couple things. And the other thing I finally, I won't stick around much longer is I finally got some style runs from Badger, the three gray, black and white primer to give a try. Cause I've been hearing lots of good things about it. And I really been using the Zenithal priming technique where it's black, white, and gray kind of all over the place. But to do your pre-shading something uh, <coughs> I'm going to teach you how to do one day. Uh, so I'm going to try it for that and just get back to painting my ghost and get that done. Cause I'm, I'm tired of it. 
but that's oh, about it for my workbench. I know Jeez. everyone right. else says too. Um, yeah, that's it for workbench. I think. So I want to ask you a question on the Warhammer thing. Yeah. Now, of course, you're going to think I'm being a smart ass, which I am kind of. Always. So you're building those because you game, you play the game. Um, I have not actually played this game. You've not actually played the game. <laughs> so, that's, so my question was going to be, do we really need to take the time to seam that stuff if all you're really doing is painting it to play the game? Or are so you painting th- therein display? lies the problem. Is it a display piece or is this a gaming piece? Uh, a lot of those guys don't do a lot of that. If it is, sec- but I'm going to see those seams every time I play that game. So I am seaming and sanding every little thing. So, and it's, I mean, I, I don't know if you can even see, but these are really thick sprues to cut. And this is like that you have to grind them off basically to get it down. The sanding's not so bad with the mold line scraper that works really well, but I I've been trying, especially when it comes to the figures is like too. a lot of people don't seem those or putty those, but I'm going to, I have to, I really do. Otherwise I won't be able to ever. And yeah, I hate mm. anyway. I, I don't want to even talk Fascism about is the enemy. Okay. I know. I have so many things. Um, but yeah, that's the workbench. I've been actually working on stuff, so it's felt good. Um, as far as videos go for my own site, again, I'm on computer all day. It's been tough and to come home and try and stream, but going to get back at it. Let's move on to our interview. Let's go on to our interview. We, uh, we reached Let's. out to to Matt Lawrence, Scott reached out to Matt Lawrence to have him come on as a guest. We saw what he was working on lately and we're like, be an awesome, awesome guest. So anything you want to do to introduce Matt, Scott? Well, I know Matt was happy. I think some of his works are going to be in the new AFM. One of the readers uh, that got in there uh, used his stuff. So I know he was a little stoked about that. And um, I really like this. uh, He's going to kill me for mentioning this this set he has for the Aurora Godzilla kit. And I was, I was, it was funny when we did the interview and you'll see it. He really did this prior to Atlantis announcing they were re-releasing it. Okay. And he doesn't, you know, he likes to do things in limited runs and now they're re-releasing this kit. So I'm sure he's (laughs) going to get inundated with people that uh, want this thing still. So um, I, I, you'll have to take that up with him. Um, I talk to him. I have to send him some money for a set, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a cool set. And we talk about that pretty early on. Um, but, uh, yeah, Matt does a lot of crazy stuff and he's kind of a niche within our niche hobby and, um, niche, 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 whatever. Um, castle mayor, castle, castle mayor, uh-huh, whatever. So we're going to have these fights. Up. Uh, but, um, he's a good guy. I got to know him a little better at Jersey fest this last year he came down and sat at the table with me and a bunch of other guys and uh he was drinking some good bourbon and we had a good time uh just chit-chatting all night and uh you know he's got cool stuff but it, and it's nobody else does it nobody. you know and nope. uh guys do starship lighting and so he decided to tap the uh go the other way i think with a lot of it and um you'll see it you'll see yeah. it yeah. So uh, anyway, we're going to get out of here and get to uh, Mr. Lawrence's interview. Enjoy. 
everybody. We are back with our interview for this episode, and that interview goes to the light of the hobby, Matt Lawrence. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm really good, guys. How are you? Ah, doing okay, Scott. We're great. <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you so much, so very much for doing this with us. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. After seeing your work all over the place, it's true. It really is an honor to be here with you. So thanks again for coming. You're welcome. I appreciate being here. Scott, you have anything to add yet? Um, I don't <laughs> have anything to add yet. I go ahead, yeah, shoot away. Yeah. Give me okay. some questions. We're good. Let's, we'll keep um, it nice and easy. Yeah. Um, Matt, seriously, how do you get... disrupt anything? <laughs> no, I know you always disrupt things. Um, Matt, how'd you get started in the hobby? How'd you find the world of garage kids? Well, you know, it goes back to when I was a little kid. I mean, obviously I was doing the, you know, Aurora model kits when I was a little kid. My father used to like to buy me models. And I think my first model I ever built was the Cyclops and Robinson family from Lost in Space by Aurora. And that was followed by the robot from Lost in Space. And that was followed by the Enterprise from Star Trek. And all of those were catastrophes. <laughs> they usually are. The first ones usually are. The first, the first one was at the moment in time when, uh, when, when we weren't allowed to use uh, airplane glue because my mother didn't want to hear anything about, oh, they, those kids sniff that stuff. It's not good for them. They'll get high. He's only seven years old. And so I built that, built that with the, with El Elmer's tube glue and, uh, well, <laughs> didn't stay put for very long. Actually, my sister's um because i was crying on the floor one day and you know my sisters convinced my mother that it would be okay and i never looked back <laughs> i think i'm the result of the parents not stopping with the glue and yeah man it's <clears throat> anyone that's ever built an enterprise kit <clears throat> and a lot of people don't know that was an aurora kit before it was an amt kit the, the way those uh warp nacelles go on and I can only imagine trying to use Elmer's glue and trying to get those things to hold straight. Well, by that time, I was allowed to use I was allowed to use testers. But um, <laughs> the funny thing with that model, and you know, it's, it's been an ongoing theme with me all my life. I, I like copper paint, and mm -hmm. painted my Enterprise copper. Copper's a cool color. It really is. Yeah, and uh, it, it was okay until. Um, you know, I fingered it up a lot, running up and down the steps, you know, making it fly and all that. And then I hit the bottom landing in, in my parents' house or, or my house I grew up in, and, and then the, both nacelles snapped off. <laughs> you can't very, hold it, Captain. <laughs> yeah, the very first version of that kid had like hoops with a little peg that went through them to hold them on. And that, <laughs> yeah, I think they all did. The AMT one did too. That's what I remember. The hoops, yeah. the little round peg that would go in and yeah. Yep. I still have that model kit. I was just going to ask, did you, do you still have any of those? I still do. Yeah. I stripped it. Uh, I had it in the eighties. I pulled it out and I had, you know, I work in the electronics industry and I had this mindset that I was going to put motors in there and lights into the nacelles and all that stuff. And, it just got shelved because it was being, you know, it was too hard at, at the time with the materials that were out there, you know, yeah. motor geared or any of that stuff. And I didn't know, understand what speed controllers were about at the time, but you know, I, that's, I don't know what a speed controller is now. So you're ahead of me. It's something it speeds up and slows down the motor. Just, well, just wait go. till just you see it. what he doesn't know. What is oh, oh just wait. Just shut up. So, just I mean, in general terms, like, you know, I built Aurora models when I was a little kid, all that kind of good stuff. And then, you know, just like everybody else, life and 
school and cars and girls and all that stuff took over and then I got married and so I went out of it for a long time and then I went back into it and uh, in the I guess in the 2000s is when I really got back into it again and at some point in time I was building the uh, I was building the, uh, the Mobius Dracula kit and I was going on to message boards on like uh, Hobby Talk I didn't know about the, the clubhouse at the time, but I went on to Hobby Talk and I was asking people where, where can I, you know, this is Bella on Broadway. So I wanted some footlights for it and I wanted, you know, lighted torches and what kind of stuff's out there. And um, I kept getting crickets for answers. So I said, well, I work in the electronics industry and I should be able to whip something like that together. And I did and build up my model that way. And I put them on, put, you know, posted pictures on Hobby Talk and people said, Oh, where'd you get the where'd you get the fancy footlights and the torches? And I said, Well, I made them. And they say, Are, are you selling them? And I'm like, I am now. <laughs> that is so always the answer. Yeah. I am now. So that's the that's where Starlighting Projects came from. So what year was that? How long have you been around as Starlighting Projects? I started it in probably 2009, 2010. I didn't really do anything actively with it until about 2011. Okay. So about 10 years almost now. Yeah. That's a yeah. long time to be in the garage kit industry, still making things. Yeah, that's true. You're still around. <laughs> Most people take their money and, and, you know, not their money, but their, their pride and like run after a while, but you're still here. That's I'm, great. I'm still here. I guess part of the reason why I'm still here is because I have a sort of a niche little world that I live in. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started starlighting, I thought about, you know, I was coming up with the ideas, you know, about what kind of products I wanted to make. I thought about lighting the, you know, lighting up spaceships and, you know, the Enterprise and X-Wing fighters and stuff like that. And that's why it's starlighting projects, whatever. Um, and then I just really sort of came to the conclusion that there's a lot of companies out there that were already doing that. It was going to be a lot of work and I really didn't want to get involved in it. I, my company is starlighting projects because I like to do short runs of things. And I don't want to make a hundred of something. Um, it's too, right. too time consuming and, and I get bored. I'm a project oriented individual and always have been. Um, you know, I work in the electronics industry and have for about 40 years. And the stuff that I always liked doing the best was setting up facilities, training people, showing them how to operate the equipment. And uh, I work for contract manufacturers a long time and, that's basically, they want to come in, they need to have 10, 50, 100, 1,000 boards made, and then and then you build something else, and you build something else, and you have a, a big customer base. And I enjoy the process of setting up, setting, setting jobs up, setting equipment up, and setting facilities up. I enjoy doing that. I don't really like running production. It's once I've figured it all out, I just want to move on to the next subject. Gotcha. If you can pick, are you a Starship guy or are you a Monsters guy? Both. Both? Good mix of both? You know, I, I've gone in and out of I've gone in and out of both of them. Um, but I like to do both. Right, you know, for for the majority of Starlighting Projects life, it's been all about monsters. And you know, again, that's a, sort of that there was nobody really supporting that that I could that I could find nobody was making lighting specifically for monsters or superheroes or anything like that. And I want to create environment for the stuff that I'm, you know, for, for models, for my model scenes. 
a lot of what I do, I do because I want that. Right. That's um, what, yeah, that's what I was going to say for your modeling. Like that's, you're kind of just a mix of both then. Right. And I'm not a really great painter. So that's why I make, that's why I light things up. <laughs> you know what? You, you, you uh, would think you would want it to be darker if you're not a great painter. So but that if no you, one can see. I think, you know, the trick, there's a lot of people who aren't very good painters that throw some special colored lights on stuff and it instantly well, makes it, it look I, better. Yeah, footlights are footlights have been a, in a been a mainstay. Footlights and torches have been really a mainstay of my mm-hmm. company, and I've sold hundreds of both of them. And I've seen people do good things and bad things with them. I mean, if you have a, um, let's say you're lighting a, a, a scene of of some sort, um, I like to use colored lighting in the background. In a Frankenstein lab, it's good to flood the back walls with green lighting. And it's good to flood the uh, the figure itself, or to highlight the figure with white lighting, so that you can actually see the paint job. And the, sure, the trick is is not have them be so bright that they'll that anything's overwhelming anything. I had a guy in England that built a uh, man of a thousand faces Janus kit years ago, and he wanted every color light that I had, and he used every colored light and like, okay, whatever you want to do there. And at the end of the day. <laughs> It really, I, you know, when I first saw it, I went, oh, no. And, uh, but after, after it grew, it kind of grew on me. It, you know, it makes sense to light up the individual busts, you know, different colors and all that. And, and he did light up lawn with, uh, with a white light. So it was good. Cool. What, what, what was, was your, your first Wonderfest? That's right. That same question I was just going to ask. What was your oh. first Wonderfest? I want to say it was 2011, <clears throat> 2011 or 2012. Was that um, as the company or as you just by yourself? Always as a company. I've never gone to any of these shows just as a uh, okay as an attendee. Um, the very first show that I ever did in Pittsburgh, they have something called um, Steel City Con. They have it three times a year. It's at the Monroeville Convention Center, and essentially it was a toy show. Now it's become much more of a you know retired actor show. <clears throat> but they still have toys and all that. And I decided yeah, what's was, up with that. Most shows have turned into that. Like it's just autographs everywhere. Losing their focus. Man. Uh, it's awful. So they took over like a, a bigger section of that building. And so that the, the actors are on one side of it and the toy shows on the other side of it. And I didn't do particularly well, but I kind of, I, I, I have enjoyed the experience of it. Second show I did was another show here called monster bash which is more a, a movie, you know, classic movie convention. And it's a really good show. It's been around for 20 or, 20 or so years. If you're looking for old movies, and there's a lot of the old actors and all that stuff there, but they, they, they had Harry Hausen there and they had Bob Burns there. And they had a lot of really good people over the years at it. That is the one show that I now do as, a, uh, as an attendee. It's the only show that I get, get to do that with. Um, and then I guess the very first show in the hobby that I did was the Jersey Fest when they were at the college. It was the first time they left Dave, uh, Dave's basement, (laughs) (laughs) went to another facility. And that was a kind of an interesting thing. That was an interesting experience for me because that's really the first time that I've been to a specific, you know, garage show, hobby show. And the people that uh, I encountered there, I remember one of the first people that walked up to me and saw my stuff was uh, Scott Kelly. And he came up, I have nice displays that look like um, they're, you know, um, 
stages, almost look like puppet stages, whatever. My, so I wanted curtains, you know, for it. And I told my daughter, I said, think Lily Munster. And she said, <laughs> I, know what you mean. I know what you're looking for. So that's where they came from. But I had these, you know, my stuff set up. It was really hot that that day for setup. They didn't have the air conditioning on there. It was in September and it was like 85, 90 and really muggy and all that stuff. And I went in and I was soaking wet, whatever. I got finished and dried off. They turned the air conditioning on. And one of the first people that walked up to the table was Scott Kelly. And he says, where have you been? Where did you come from? <laughs> We've needed you forever. <laughs> Made me feel fairly welcome. I met a lot of people there. Uh, Ray Santa, Larry, Joe LaDoughty, obviously the showrunners. That's where I met Robert Truck. That that day was the day that I met Robert Truck. And oh, that guy. That guy's trouble. That guy is trouble. I'm going to tell you. He's one of my favorites. He really he is. is. He's one of ours. Did he get you to do some push-ups or jumping jacks or something? I, I wish. I have, <laughs> I have back problems that you know, may lead me into surgery at some point in time trying yeah. to fight off and he keeps trying to help me do this stuff but you know he does he's on every day uh he's on instagram and he's on facebook <laughs> and he has he said i was like robert you gotta stop doing that it's like oh, in the morning and you're hurting me the first <laughs> thing i do is i feel pain in my back because i'm like, <laughs> just watching them over backwards <laughs> but at any rate as everyone knows atlantis is re-releasing uh a lot of the monster kits and uh, anyone that hasn't seen it, you have a Glow Godzilla, a set of Godzilla parts. It's a real limited run. Um, I loved it. I love the idea. I'm going to have to talk to you when we're done because I, I definitely want to set. Um, I, I, I love first, the Ship my first ones today. Shipped about half of them. Okay. Yeah, and the kit's not even out yet, but it's, you know, right. I mean, but most of us have it already anyway. You know? A lot of people do, sure. You know, I look at it and I go, that's an idea that someone should have had years ago. I mean, do you ever look at some of the stuff you do and go, how come no one did this years ago? True that, um, especially with the atomic breath. That was one mm -hmm. of the things that uh, my buddy Matt McWhirt said to me when Matt helps helped me majorly with that and other projects. And I want to talk about him here in a little bit. But um, that was one of the things he says, I, could, I could never could figure out why they didn't figure out some way to light that. Uh, you know, back in the day, at least with some great mm -hmm. elves, and I can't figure out why they didn't put a, an atomic breath in his mouth. Really, I wasn't planning on doing as much to it as I as I did. I find my mm -hmm. you know my Aurora kit broken up in pieces in a box, and I had the glow the square glow box uh, kit, so it came with glow and non glow parts in it, and I put the glow in the dark spine in mine and glued it into it, but I still had the the original. The, you know, the original non-globe part in it. And I said, well, I'd like to be able to do something with that. Maybe I'll do, you know, like 10 of them and be done with it because this was before uh, Atlantis had decided that they were going to release that kit. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, work with Matt, we made an, a new mold for that spine. And then the part itself is cast in a clear and it has a special UV additive in it. So there are six LEDs in the, each of the fins of the spine that basically whenever you turn the battery on, the LEDs glow, and of course they cause the uh, spine to glow. Um, so they're glowing uh, fluorescently. 
And then the same thing was true with the uh, uh, with the atomic <laughs> breath. I originally wanted to embed, we we're gonna over mold an LED into the end of it uh, to light it up, but we did some experiments and we really couldn't come up with a satisfactory way to do it. You basically just couldn't get enough light to transfer through it basically. Oh, there we go. I can see a little bit here. So we put the, you know, the, the light down in here and I was only being able to get the, you know, the light to go up to a bot here and there was just nothing we could do. Part of it's because of the shape of this spine. If it was completely, you know, cylindrical and all that and much more plain, I might've been able to pull it off, but it just wasn't working. We also toyed with the idea of just, you know, putting in glow in a dark potter into it and that didn't work. So what we ended up doing was we just ended up using the same UV additive to it. I don't know how well this will show up on screen. If you do it in front of your shirt, it's good. And half half of yeah. my screen is cut off because I've got the... Okay, I can oh, see yeah. it. Okay. So it fluoresces like mad. It's a nice blue color. In the picture here, it looks aqua, but it's really a nice um, azure blue, I guess you want to call it. So That is so cool. <laughs> and then... The other thing that we did was we made nameplates. So that we just used a regular, um, a regular resin for that. And we used uh, Smooth On's Ignite, which is a colorant, which also for us is under black light. So I made them like a nice minty green. Uh, the nameplates are made of a nice minty green. And so about the nameplate real quick. So there is no light in the nameplate. It just, it just glows under the UV. Under UV, okay. same thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Same thing. Same thing is true with the uh, with, with the breath. If you flood the whole area with UV light, the whole thing looks just fabulous. <laughs> it really just looks great. So, and you get extra kick to the spine. Um, mm. Now, there's LEDs. That you, you, if you put light from from an, an external source into it, you can do that. Uh, it, it glows a lot brighter. And, and you know, I thought about in, you know including some other you know a, a flashlight or something. I just have included a little uh, keychain, which basically is a UV light. It works out pretty well. That was that's a good cool. effect. Yeah, look, like at that. That. look at that. Look at that's that. That's pretty cool. We got to get so some special that, effects like that, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> so that stuff all that stuff all you know glows pretty nicely. Uh, UV flashlights and that kind of thing are really easy to come by. You can find a zillion of them on Amazon. And so I just said so I was really trying to keep the cost of the kit down. People wanted me to put sand into it and. Godzilla's roar and they wanted you know the the theme music and all that and I could do all that stuff but it's really a question of yes cost it's yeah. a $30 kit right you know, Godzilla kits a $30 kit do they really want to spend you know a hundred dollars for a lighting effect for it this is not Star Trek you know people <laughs> will spend a hundred dollars for the enterprise and five hundred dollars for a lighting kit for it and uh that's just not where I wanted to go. I and and, and again, I, I felt like it was always going to be a short run. The the spines were um, a bit of a challenge to do. They took they take almost an hour from <clears throat> once they're cast, once the parts cast, and I get it into my hand. It takes it about it takes about each one takes about an hour to uh, to prep it, you know, so that it does its thing. Um, that part is really thin and was not easy to cast. It turned out beautiful. It really, it's a great effect. It looks really cool. The, the pictures people are looking at are just, you can see it's a really, and it, you can tell there's some love put into that stuff. All this stuff actually that's coming. Yeah. I wanted it to be elegant in some fashion. Yeah. I wanted it to be something that wasn't just, you know. And like you said, it's a really cheap, simple kit and to really like make it pop like that. It's, it's really, really, really fabulous. 
It's fun to do. Yeah. Challenge. Some of some of us pulling my hair out, and I was pulling. Matt was pulling some of his hair out too. Did I go away? No, I no, was looking so, to see so how much hair you pulled out. Me, yeah, he's. Oh, uh, oh, I thought you were making fun of me, jerk. Let me pull my rug up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear a rug. So I should start next one. I'm going to. Uh, Jason. Jason and I were putting the slideshow together yesterday. Sure. And there's a, uh, one of the pictures you sent us was a photo of you with the um, electrical cabinet and the cosmic ray diffuser. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason. Well, no, noticed- no, hold on. Wait, time out. Time- well, time out. There are a lot of people in our audience. You know, we have a younger audience. We have about, you know, 5 million listeners. Probably. Oh, here we go. Don't make and, excuses already. And I'm pretty sure that most people don't know what a strict fadden is. So, so he said, he says to me, what is strict fed? <laughs> okay. And, and I blew up on him. So uh, I said, Lawrence is going to strangle you. He's a kid. <laughs> He's, I said, Lawrence is going to strangle you. And I wouldn't tell him. I, he, I said, you want me to tell you? And he goes, no, just let it go into tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm like, you have no idea what strict fed. And I have what no it idea. Is. And, and so Matt, so knock yourself off. Hold on. Yeah. Let me let me defend myself a minute. Oh, for shit. I, I know what they are. I know that that's from the movie. Like what? But I've never heard the name Strick Fadden. It's on your shirt in the picture. I Matt, have no idea. Matt, you're turning red. I know. I know. I knew I was going to catch hell for this. So. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. And all the shame that Scott has gotten over the episodes. It's my turn. Lay it on me. Go ahead. I'm going to try to do. I'm, I'm going to try to keep this under five minutes because we could talk about this guy for hours. Okay. Kenneth Strickfadden is the is the is the guy. All right. Kenneth Strickfadden was the uh, guy that made all the machines for the original Frankenstein movie, and he had a storied career. But he was the only time he ever got screen credit was for Young Frankenstein. But Kenneth Strickfadden was a really interesting guy. Uh, one of he. He has a bio, there's a biography out there of him, right? You can see like the, you know, learn something about his history and you can see some of the, you know, sketches of the the equipment and all that stuff. But he was a a tinkerer. He was really inspired by Edison and by Tesla, more by Tesla, I guess. Um, Because you can see Tesla calls all over his stuff and Jacob's ladders and things of that nature. But he was a he, he basically was at, at one point in time, he had been in the military and he got out of the military and he was a handyman. He was a photographer. He ended up working doing circuses and at circuses, whenever whenever the circus comes into town, they have to do these things with crazy electricity from different sections of town. They have to bring in electricity from different in different directions. And he was the circus electrician. He also liked to collect junk. And one of the things he would collect any kind of, you know, military surplus, industrial surplus kind of equipment, and he would hobble them together and, um, you know, and and make them do something. And he would add, you know, lights and uh, 
you know, coils and, you know, leather, big capacitors to them so that they would have big arc discharges and all that. And uh, he made a, made up an inventory of them and that he basically started hawking around in, in Hollywood saying, I have these machines and all that. Well, when James Whale was making Frankenstein, he got his set people to go off and said, we need to have some of this, some machines that look like Metropolis. He liked the Metropolis lab and he wanted the Frankenstein lab to look like that. And these guys, some of these guys knew who Strick Fadden was. And so Strick Fadden brought his sketchbook along and said, this is what I've got. They toured, they went to his shop where he had all this stuff going on and off. And they said, this is the stuff. And they, so they basically hired him as a contractor, basically to bring in his stuff, set it up and, uh, you know, make it play while they were filming. And it wasn't like props that Universal made. They were stuff that they rented basically from him and had him run. And I, I like to tell this story too to youngsters, to, uh, to young people, because it's like when when you watch movies now, and you know it's all CGI, and you know there's very little practical in them, and they do all this crazy stuff. And if you bring up the subject of Frankenstein to to young people. And I mean, people even younger than you. If you bring up, uh, if you bring up Frankenstein, they'll go, "Oh, it's an old black and white movie. It's dull and boring." Then I say, "Well, the the one thing that you'll remember about that movie is undoubtedly the lab scene. And in the lab scene, you see all this electricity flying around and all these sparks and all that stuff." And I was like, "That wasn't CGI. That was practical effects. There were millions of volts going on on the set while that was while that was being filmed." Um, and then they sort of, their head tilts a little bit and they go, maybe I'll give that as another look. Cause That's it's, it was the real deal. I'm kind of glad I didn't know this because this story wouldn't have happened. Right. I just thought, like you just said, I thought it was a universal guy, prop guy, just made this stuff, weird stuff. No idea. So I'm glad I didn't know. And so I his stuff something. appeared probably in about a hundred, maybe about a hundred movies during his career. Um, I think that, um, I know that at the end of his at the end of his career, the last thing that happened with his specifically with his equip, equipment in a film was in Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks said, "You know, I'd like to do you know that same kind of thing with you know with my movie." And the people find out, you know, his you know set people went off and they find out that Strick Fadden still was alive and he still had his, <laughs> still had that equipment. And some of it was some of it was some of it were original props. Some of were things that he repurposed over the years and all that. I also have been told I've never been able to really verify this, but apparently they were they filmed his arc discharges, these big massive you know plasma discharges of electricity, and they used I've been told that they used that for the uh, they edited that into whenever the Terminator was uh, landed in, you know, in LA in the, in the ball of electricity. Yeah. That, that was a strict fat ball of electricity. Is there a book? Like, is there a book about like, just that chronicles all that or anything? It's not, not really. No, I, I know somebody that's, that's working on that, that has okay. some courses and I don't really want to say much I, more. Gotcha. About the, so in order, like when getting into your machines that you've, you know, the sure Scott, go ahead, say the names because I uh, can't see them. Yeah. Wait, say it again. And the cosmic ray diffuser. 
Um, and the, hold on, I'm looking here. And the electrical cabinet, I think, is all he called that one. Was that correct? The other one, the, the other one is the uh, nucleus analyzer. Yes. They're too, yes. They're, the reason I don't know is because they're too small on my screen to read right now because the way I have things set up. But, That's okay. so in, in making each one of those, how did you go about finding the materials and just watching movies over and over and over? Or were there pictures or did you get a hold of his sketches or... I, I have his I have the book that was written about him, which does have his some of his sketch, sketches in the book. They're not you they're not usually detailed. It's not like blueprints or any of that. It's just um, most of, mostly it's from reference photographs and watching the movies in a loop over and over and over and over and trying to figure out what sizes to make things. You know, originally I wanted to make them in one six scale, and I just decided that it was going to be too difficult to shove electronics into them if they were that scale so they ended up being about one fifth scale but you know force perspective you can you know if you look at if you look at it, I have one six scale figures posing with them and, and they look right yeah Just yep. how you set your scene up how you force people to look at it and all but um so the reference photographs was primarily it i have lots of them hundreds okay. of them, really so what which one did you do first i did the nucleus analyzer first um, because it was sort of somewhat, it was simpler. Uh, it didn't have all the stuff all over it. Um, I got pictures of it. And, you know, again, these were machines that he cobbled together, that Strick Fadden cobbled together out of stuff that, that was, you know, army or military or, you know, industrial surplus. And so the bottom of the nucleus analyzer, it looks like a mushroom, uh, a bunch of mushrooms stacked up on top of one another. I had that sculpted for me by Brian McGuire. Um, Scott, you know Brian? Another troublemaker. <laughs> troublemaker. I'm sure. I don't know. Good, um, Love Brian. I, I have a funny story about him, but maybe another time. No, no, do it now. You got to do it now. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. He's always been really easy for me to deal with. The first time I met, I, I, the short version of it is that the first time I, I met him was at Monster Bash and he came walking up to my, he kept walking up to my stages that said, you know, and had signs all over them, do not touch. And, he, and at one point in time when he thought I wasn't looking, he went over and he grabbed hold of something. He was like, how does this work? Like, it sounds just like someone Scott would be friends with, you know? And <laughs> so I didn't particularly care for him, but after that, I... I met him again in another monster bash and we started talking and, you know, I knew, I knew he was a sculptor and um, we talked about a variety of things. He's done a, a, a number of products for me, but anyway, so the, uh, getting back to the nucleus analyzer, the first thing that uh, happened was that the, um, the, the mushroom, the ceramic mushroom insulator got made. I used a piece of PVC pipe, which I have cut into sections basically for the body. I sculpted the, uh, the front and rear panels of them. Uh, I sculpted the spinning, the spinning motor on it. I sculpted the sparks that the clear sparks that are on the front of it. Um, figured out how to put it all together. And it's gorgeous. Like they're just simply gorgeous. Like just as like little pieces of art, they are just. That's what Matt, that's what my buddy Matt says is it doesn't yeah. make any difference if they're strict fabbing or not. There's a lot of people out there that would, that, that would want that basically. Yeah. Uh, an odd looking thing or steampunky looking. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you started out with the doom boxes. So, I mean, you started, started that to... way and then you just kind of like, well, let me see if I can just improve on that and make it more accurate. 
Well, you know, the, the Duboxes were kind of, they were always inspired by Strict Fatten, and each one of them has its own, each one of them has its own name that sounds kind of like a Strict Fatten name. I have one here called the Synaptic Synchronizer, and, you know, um, that's the one that has the brain in the, in the chamber on the top of it. And um, I just made up a list of them at one point in time, because I was offering those as, 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 as custom builds, and I've never done two the same about 15 of them for people i come up with an idea for a meter or a switch or something like that and i make 50 of them and i throw them into a, i throw them into a bin and then i make then i come up with another idea and i throw those parts into a bin and then you know i've built up some of these i take them to shows mostly i only build these for people that i've met face to face um because they are time consuming and they my life gets in my way from time to time and i need them and they're not cheap and I need them to understand it. You know, it might take me a year. Sometimes they take me three months. Sometimes they take me a year to, to go through the process. Um, but what I basically do with them is that once I show them to them, they'll ask me, how do you do them? And I said, well, I'm a, you know, I, I do them by commission. They're, they're one off. And, um, well, you know, and they asked me, you know, basically how much it would cost to get, you know, kinds of features that I've got on my display units and, I give, tell them, and then they'll say, well, okay, I want to do that. So the process after that goes is that they give me a dot payment. And then I take uh, I have some blank front panels and I lay them down and I lay a bunch of my, um, you know, meters and switches and things on them. I put them on there in an arrangement, take a photograph of it. I move them around or swap things out. I take three, four or five pictures. I send them off to the customer. The customer says, that's the one I like. And so I just throw the other pictures away and that's the one that I built. So they get to interact with the process a little bit. So that's, that's a lot of fun going back and forth, talking about different features that they can have. And then it becomes, you know, what do you want it? Do you want it to light? Do you want it to flash? Do you want it to blink? Do you want it to make noises? So on and so forth. So, so I've had people, I've had people suggest that I make that kind of thing as a garage kit. And I just sort of can't bring myself to do it. It's yeah, like, no, yeah, that I want to dumb it down. Yeah, that'll cheapen. It's a nice thing. It's a lot of fun to, to do it. And I get to, you know, paint with my creative brush, whatever. Yeah. Make some little mayhem. Now, I, I, the, 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 the thing that I have that goes against me is that once I start doing them, right while I'm in the middle of it, I'll think of this other really good idea that would be a nice addition to it. And I'll, and I'll say, I have to do that too. And, Sometimes I make the customer pay for it. Sometimes I don't. Oh, I don't know if they want it, whatever. You know, they ask me what the cost impact is. And I have, it's kind of like, you know, a, a guitar amplifier goes to 10. A spinal tap guitar amplifier goes to 11. Once I get to 11, I start pushing it to 13 or 14. <laughs> I start adding other, I keep pushing it and pushing it until it's sort of over the top almost. The Doombox with the skull face in it with the blue. Yes. So that skull, like just to take that one apart for a second, did you sculpt that? Did you find that found material? Like this, the skull is the only thing that I did not sculpt myself. And that again, that was a Brian McGuire thing. Cool. It was always intended to be the Bride of Frankenstein skull. It's got a cap on it, a metal cap that goes onto it. It's, it's sort of bolted on. I put some uh, bolt, some electrodes onto it so that I could plug fiber optics into it. It's really crazy. Um, I have it sitting here. If you want me to, I can do a real quick demo. Sure. That'd be great. 
this is a doom box. This is the one we were just talking about. I don't know how well it's going to show up, but we'll give it a shot. The first thing, this is a silly thing, but that cost me a sign card just to basically make that one sound effect because I had to have it. When you flip the lever, Don, I had to have it. So That's great. The, what's going on here is that I have a, a group of LEDs up in the top of it that are shining down on the skull. And it's oversaturating on this camera, but um, essentially I have, a circ I have some circuitry in there that allows me to change the way that that pulsates. So I can have it flashing really quickly, or let me see if I can get one or two of them going. So I can change the effect a little bit. So I can have it strobe or pulse or flicker. That's so awesome. So, so in addition to that, all right, that these are UV LEDs up in here. This is where I push it to 11, 12, 13. These are UV LEDs in, in here. The, the skull is clear cast. Skull is clear cast and it has a UV tracer in it. So it's fluorescing under, under, under black light. I also have another, I also have um, some fiber optics that are plugged into it. Those are attached to another effect that I have in here. Let me see, there's the button there. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That green is awesome. The head is being the head is being lit by the fiber optics. Yeah. So I have two light sources here. One that's coming down from the top, and then one that's coming in from all these fiber optics that are attached into it. And this is the synaptic synchronizer. Let's see if I can get that going. I can't get it going well enough. Let's give it a shot. I noticed uh, some copper paint there on those. Uh... These? Yeah. <laughs> copper pipes. Uh, Still copper, though. Still copper. Still they're, copper. They're real copper. They are real <laughs> good here. Yeah. Don't come by us. Someone will come by and steal those and resell them. So the synaptic synchronizer, we have to make her the, the electrons flow up to her brain through the fiber optics. <laughs> So the scope is monitoring it. As... Have you had enough? So no, I haven't actually. So that little screen, the the thing at the bottom, you just is that something you buy or do you make that light effect inside there? I make oh it. Everything God. you see on here pretty much is something that I manufacture. Everything on there. The scope itself, I sell those as a separate thing if people want them. I buy the knife switches, but I modify them by putting a different handle and a different base onto them. The meters I make myself. So what goes into a meter? That's one of my other first questions. Is that like a backing with a drop of epoxy on it? Or he, he I don't want you to give away, that away, but is that similar? Like, well, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Yeah, okay. No. Um, it's something that I use gel medium a lot to do things. I am okay. giving away a secret of some to some point they're not easy to make either nothing no. nothing i can just you know pull the lever down and crank right. them um essentially i make a I, I print out a sheet of paper with those meter faces on them i use a uh, a cabochon and i use uh, a liquid medium or a gel medium i place them on top of it i let it dry for a day and then i cut them apart and then i have to sand the edges of them off and they take you know hours to make yeah them. So I sell them as sets and some of them are, some of them are good. Uh, or I, sh I shouldn't say some of them are good. They're all, they're all pretty nice looking. The images that you catch off of the internet of meters, they're all, the, the needles are all at zero. 
<laughs> and that just makes me crazy. So I have a graphics artist buddy of mine here on the cosmic ray diffuser. I had him make move, put, you know, put the needles in, you know, different positions on it so that it looked, it looked real. Right. Yeah. Are they in different to, positions? Also, you buy the I, set. Are they in different positions or are they all? Because I no, know I have a couple of the sets. Or are they all in the all, same place in the set? They're all different. Okay. There's nine in, in the set. There's nine nine different meters and four of them are the same meter, but the needles in different positions. Of yeah, and, I, and I like they say star lighting in them. Um, two of them do. That's two of them do? Okay. The ones that I put on the cosmic ray diffuser. Okay. Um, I if you look really, 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 really closely into there, and I did send you a, uh, a zoom. Yeah, we've got a, that's what I'm looking at right now. I'm looking at that photo I right did, now. I did do that, so. When you, uh, like, so in that other picture with the, the clear pieces on top? Yes. So you're doing your own casting for that, right? How hard is it to cast clear stuff and not get bubbles? In? Some stuff I, some stuff I clear cast and some stuff I don't. It really depends on what it what is. What you're doing. I do, I, the, I primarily do open you know, poor casting myself and like the, you know, the windows in here, the windows in here are, are, are clear castings. They're only the framework on it's an eighth of an inch thick and the rest of it's about a 16th of an inch thick. Um, and what, what I do is that I use a, I use a resin that's not smooth on 325. Everybody uses 325. Um, because it ends up being amber colored when it's done. I buy something from Polytech, a resin that they use. Matt uses a different uh, brand of epoxy or a different brand of uh, urethane resin. Both of them don't yellow. But uh, essentially, if they're fresh, I can open pour them and they don't bubble. If they're fresh, if you let them sit around, they cop moisture out of the air, you're done. They will get bubbles in them. And it does, at that point, I'll use them for something that doesn't really need to be you know, water clear or close to water clear. Gotcha. Uh, things that are uh, like the Godzilla spines that I, Matt did them for me and they, they could not be, they, they had to be pressure cast. There was just no way to do them. They were really hard for him to do them. I thought he was going to kill me at some point. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess, you know, I like, can I segue a little bit? Into, yeah, go ahead. Go right ahead. Into materials and such. Yep. You know, this is a, uh, an area that I, I don't see people people do a lot when you're talking about what do you think of the state of the hobby and all that. Um, I think about the state of the hobby in the in in terms of my buddy Matt. He said years ago when I met him, I met him through Mark Kalen. Scott knows Mark Kalen, right? He does nameplates like Yep. No, I know Mark. I know Matt as well. So and I did um I wanted to do something with my nameplates that was pretty specific. And I was talking to Mark about, you know, once you make the masters for me, I want to do this stuff. And he said, and I kept talking about all this crazy stuff I wanted to do, pushing materials around and experimenting with it. And he said, you really need to meet my buddy, Matt. Uh, we met online. We talked for a bit. I met him at Wonderfest. Matt uh, came up to my table at Wonderfest and after he had looked at everything around, he said, I just wanted to introduce myself to you face to face. And then, and then he left and he walked around and, and Matt, somebody that was in the hobby a long time ago. And Matt is a genius at, at materials and molding and casting. He knows more about this stuff than many other people that I know. A lot of the people out there that are considered to be some of the best, not all of them, but a lot of the people that are considered to be the best 
of people that Matt showed how to do it. Matt showed people how to do this stuff. Um, he's a very um, self-effacing person, a very modest person, but he knows his stuff. At any rate, he walked around Wonderfest after having not been there for 15, you know, 14 or 15 years. And he came up to came back up to my table and he says, I want to talk to you. Can you get can you get away for a little bit? So we went up and then we sat down in his room and he pulled out this little project that he was working on that was a ghost in a bottle. And it's a cool thing because if you're looking at the bottle, um, it's clear. And if you shine UV light onto it, all of a sudden this ghost appears inside. It looks like Casper. And it's a beautiful thing. And I said, Oh, that's really cool. He said, Can I buy one of those for me? He said, No, that's free. You can just have it. I said, why do you want to give it to me? He says, because I like what you're doing. He says, I've been away from the hobby for a long time. And again, he molding, casting, kit producer, all that kind of good stuff. And he says, I've been away for a long time. And I was really looking forward to coming back to the hobby and seeing what had changed. And he said, it hasn't changed. He said, what you're doing is different, but everybody hire, hire a sculptor, mold and cast, put it in a box, ship it out, be done with it. If you say clear casting, I don't want to hear it. You say color, I don't want to hear it. Everybody does pretty much the same thing. You all, if you open up a box of resin, what color is it? White or gray? That's pretty much it. My stuff, when you open it up, you shine a flashlight in and it goes black. <laughs> um, and it's just like, I like to play with materials and all that stuff. And we get crazy. You know, I talked to him and I said, well, I'm thinking about doing this. And what do you think about that? Um, is it possible, you know? And he's talked about it doing a couple of things that were just too difficult, but um, he's willing to try. And that's a that's a thing where I see a lot of people in the hobby don't. Um, I, I don't want to shoot at them. But a lot of people in the hobby do a lot of really good work. They do beautiful things and, you know, they've, they've gotten seam work done, you know, significantly and they pressure cast and, and there's a lot of really good stuff at it, but a lot, they tend to stay in a very small uh, comfort zone as far as what materials they want to use. Why do you think that is? Safe. Safe. Less failure. It depends on what they're doing. I mean, if they're a big producer, there's some big producers out there, they really don't have time to play with this stuff that I'm playing with. I, As I said earlier, I don't want to make, you know, a million of anything. I want to make 10, 20, 25, 30 of something. Um, another thing that Matt said to me is that the, I guess a, a thing that's sort of a not real well discussed is that the whole point of resin casting is, is it was originally created to do to for industrial purposes to do prototyping, like people do 3D printing now to do a prototype. I want to see what this thing's going to look like. That's what resin casting was originally invented for. It wasn't meant to do 50 castings. It wasn't meant to do 100 castings. It was only meant to make a handful of them so you could hold it in your hand and verify that your design would work. And it's not injection molding. Injection molding is a different science. You know, injection molding the Godzilla spine is not that hard. Resin casting it is really hard. Especially <laughs> when you throw in clear, you know, clear resin into it. And, uh, you have to find the right material and you have to play with a bunch of the materials. Now, I guess another thing I would say about Matt is that he works for a company that um, he is not a, he's not in the, it's not really in the hobby. I also have to say that he made me say this. He says, I don't need these people calling me up on the phone. Matt. I don't, 
I can't, he does things for me because he's my friend. Yeah. Understand that. Um, and because we like to play in the same sort of crazy environment where we push the materials around and make interesting stuff happen. Um, he really is not, he doesn't have a facility to do this stuff in. He has a day job and he works for a company that makes like uh, body parts and uh, things for students to use in schools. Like he might make a hand. Yeah. You can pull the skin back and there's the muscles and you can pull it back again and there's nerves and you pull it back again and there's, you know, bones. And it's what they give to college students before they get cadavers. I kind of want one of those. So that's the kind of stuff he does. As a function of that, he's been doing that forever. As a function of that, he is exposed to lots of materials manufacturers. So it's not like everybody go to smooth on or a handful of companies. He knows many companies that make many different kinds of materials. And he's familiar with them because of his experiences on his, in his day job where he's able to um, understand what's new. And he's also able to influence them a little bit and say, I need a resident that will do that will have these properties and behave this way. So it's not just, you know, pour the same resident into a mold for him. It's figuring it out. It's figuring out what's going to work best in that environment. Yeah. You mentioned 3D printing. Have you tried it yet? Tried doing anything computer and print in and out or? Um, yeah. Part of the cosmic ray diffuser. Uh, the top part, the really tall cabinet, that's uh, that's 3D printed, and that was a royal pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, Why? What was the? Was what pain, was? It was a pain in the ass because I worked with an industrial designer that designed it in CAD. It's not, you know, um, I can't. What, what are the popular? It's ZBrush or something. It was yeah. It was done, this was done okay. in SolidWorks. SolidWorks is really industrial. Okay mechanical design and it he, the he did a good job but it I, it took months to get it done because he kept trying to change it and i said what i'm trying to do is create a proper replicant it needs to look exactly like this picture and it needs to be this size and he kept turning it into a fender guitar amplifier no i don't want the corners rounded it needs to look like this and i had to i've probably said those words to him about a hundred times it needs to look like this. And so it was difficult to do. And that was another place where um, it had to be one fifth scale because features started disappearing when we started going down to one sixth scale. The advantage to one of the advantages to, you know, 3D printing is that you can scale things however yeah. you want. Them. But once you start to get too small, then they become small, they, they disappear. Yeah. So, and I just told you a story that's sort of outside the norm of what people in the hobby in the hobby industry would be doing. They're using they use you know ZBrush and in, in, in software like that to create an object. This guy was trying to. He's a mechanical engineer. He thinks mechanically, and he's trying to make specific things the way he did. And so, um, that's more or less the way that that played out. Is that you know it took it took him a long time, and it took a lot of going back and forth. I was looking for an artistic outcome. He was looking for 
you know, mechanical. I'm like, I'm not putting spark gaps into this thing and it's not actually going to do anything. Actually, the original machines didn't do anything. They just looked good. Do you understand that? And then and you talk to an electrical engineer or a mechanical engineer, they all go, what are you talking about? That's all crazy. I have those kind of brain fights all the time with people with me wanting to do math at some point. It just doesn't. I look at the way the number two looks, <laughs> not, not what it means. Right. Like what it's, what's its function? Yeah. The other half of the uh, cosmic ray diffuser, the bottom half of it was, um, that, that's all me. It was all scratch built. All the parts are hand built by these crazy little arthritic fingers. And so I created all those parts basically again from reference drawings or re- reference photographs, I should say. The lanterns, did those come out of necessity for yourself, for your own model stuff too? Or was that something a customer was like, hey, can you make me some lanterns and torches and skulls? Just an idea. I guess sort of the germ of it came from uh, Van Bordana put out a a Nosferatu model kit years ago. Resin Crypt put out a Nosferatu Nosferatu model kit and it had a lantern on it. It was a single piece casting and all that stuff. And I said, are you lighting it? And he says, no, the builder can do that. Well, most builders don't do that. I mean, no. you know, I'm an initian, 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 initian. I, you know, I say, and I'm the, kind of the, I'm the only kid out there that makes these things that light up. And most know? builders don't even paint it to look like it's actually lighting an area. Either. Yeah. And they don't think about it. I no. mean, it's not the way that they're wired and, you know, they'll go to Michael's and they'll buy a little votive candle and they'll shove it up and figure out a way to shove it into there. And I just wanted to make something that was more an elegant, more elegant solution, something that looked nicer. And I've, I've done four different lantern styles and I've got two more in mind to do. Same with the skulls and the candles, all that. The skulls and the candles, um, that was, that was an idea. Somebody, I was looking at somebody, somebody's kit at a show, something that they had built and it didn't have a candle or anything on it. It just had the skull on top of two books. I was like, hey, it'd be cool if you stuck a candle down in there. That's where it came from. I just, you know, an idea that I, I saw there was a way to do that. And those have done pretty well for me as well. They're an easy thing for me to do. I, I decided I did not want to do my own skulls for those. I had some. I got some skull that came from a Terminator kit a million years ago, and I made a hand for it. I'm like, well, that's sort of recasting. Although it was a toy, it wasn't a model kit. And I was like, that's recasting. I don't want to do that. And I find a guy down in Texas. His name's Mark Munoz, and he sculpts his own skulls, and he does a really good job of it. And I just buy his and repackage them with my stuff. Um, I sculpt Chris, or I'm sorry, Fritz, uh, Frizzing did the original books for me and then the candles on me place a plaster plaster, and I put the led on top of it and put uh gel medium on it to make it look like it's got some wax on it you know because I built all these machines and all that again I want props for my props I need to have you know monsters and mad scientists with all these Mm -hmm. machines they look better when I photograph them and so I got a bride I got a Billiken bride and I got a an Horizon bride and the likeness of the bride was terrible on both of them, just terrible. I've seen people do good paint jobs on them, on the Billiken one, the mm-hmm. one just never 
does it for me. Doesn't look anything like Elsa Lanchester, nothing like her. So I decided I was going to hire a sculptor to do that. And the person that did that to me as a person one of my, on my shout out list is uh, Rob Price. Rob Price did a bunch of uh, resin grips sculptures and he's done some beautiful work. I he was really easy to deal with, really fun, uh, fun person to deal with. I've never met him face to face because he's in England, um, but we had really good email communications. He was very easy to get along with, very cooperative, did what I wanted um, up until a moment in time. And that moment in time created a really sort of a fun outcome. Originally what I did was I just wanted to make the head. The Billiken and Horizon brides had bodies as well as gods that went over top of the body, bandage body. And I was just making a replacement head and I made, Rob did the uh, original sculpt for it and it all played out in a mold and cast them and I was just selling them as an aftermarket piece. And then at some point in time, I said, you know what, this really needs to have its own body and I want to be able to do it. So I want to do the pose where she's got her hand across her chest and across her abdomen, whatever. Yeah. famous publicity photo I wanted to have that in and um, I wanted to have those features but I also decided I wanted they had to be held on by magnets so that they could swap out heads a little bit I wanted different arm poses so they, could, they would have some variety there so I decided I wanted to do that with magnets and so I came up with you know I need two two arm poses and, and a body and so we got fairly far through the process. And so Rob says, well, I've got the, you know, the cross arms done. What, what do you want for the, what do you want for the other set of arms? What poses do you want them in? And I didn't want the straight out, you know, mummy arms or, you know, Frankenstein <laughs> arms like yeah. the uh, Billiken and Horizon kits. And I just, I, I couldn't figure that. I was like, Rob, you can take your pick, man. You, you know, do anything you want with those. And he says, Matt, this is yours. I want you to be happy. I need you to figure out what you want me to do with it. And so I sat for about a week thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that there's a scene in The Bride of Frankenstein when Dr. Pretorius announces the Bride of Frankenstein. And that's the pose that I had and make her the alternate set of arms in, like she was mocking him or mimicking him. <laughs> that's the inside joke in that kit. So Matt, you have a lot of Frankenstein stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember in the one piece, and I don't want to screw up the names of them. So the piece with the heart in it um, and the bust. Uh, so Jeff Yeager's Rebirth. Called, yeah, Rebirth. Rebirth. That's right. See, I, now when you Rebirth say it, I remember. In the uh, cardiovascular revitalizer. Right. That uh, That's a Jeff Yeager sculpt, if I remember right, isn't it? Did, the bust is. The bus is right from the shoulders up. The machine's on me. And uh, so there's a there's two versions of it, rebirth and relic. Rebirth has his eyes open. Relic has his eyes closed. And so it's the same sculpt basically, but 
when that when as the islands closed on it because I wanted it to well the backstory is sort of what what happened between the bride of Frankenstein and son of Frankenstein mm -hmm. and so I said well Henry Frankenstein went back to the wreckage of the building and brought the monster back and put him on the cardiovascular revitalizer to bring him back to life and re relic is right before he comes to life and model kit fan fiction that's good model kit fan fiction that's and um You'll, you'll never see it. You'll see know, that in, the, in one of the videos. Right. There's but a, you showed me at Jersey Fest. Um, eyes opened up. The one where you did Jersey Fest and you put the uh, ultraviolet light on it and had all the veining and stuff in it. That was. Yeah, that's a that was a cool trick. Um, I can't I can't say that I own that. Um, I wanted it. So a lot of the. Uh, a, a lot of times, as I said, I'm not the world's greatest painter. And so Saul Alvarez does a lot of painting for me. And I asked him to put veins on the, on, on that particular kit, you know, subcutaneous veins, whatever. And he did his magic there, but I also asked him to use uh, another, it's a, it's a UV base. It's a UV base. And so what he did, it's basically clear when it dries. And essentially what he did was he went over where all, all the veins are and he painted over top of it with this UV. Mm -hmm. UV base, and I think there's. I think I included a picture or two of that in the in the ones I sent. So hopefully you can. Uh, yeah, that was um, that was really none cool. of it. None of it shows up as well in photographs than it does in person. It's just golden because I wanted his feints to be electric, you know. And I thought it was <laughs> a really great idea. As I said, it wasn't my idea. The, uh, the veining was my idea, but using that paint was not. There's a there's a doom box in there, uh, the Wyland Utani um, emitter. It's a little box about this big, and it's got a cluster of LEDs on one end of it and control panel on the other side. It's very small. I made that for George Stevenson, and he has the colonist bust, and where the face hucker is wrapped around the head, and, and it's a bust with the naked chest on there. He had, I think, Neil Vickers paint that for him, Neil Vickers basically painted it so that you could see her rib cage under the skin if you were shining black light onto it or if you're shining UV light onto it. So George says, I, I need something to do that. So we, I worked up that little machine for him so that he could light that up. So it was, he was the one that pointed me to that material. And it's uh, Wicked Colors. It's an airbrush uh, base. I, and I can't read the text on it. It's too small. I think it's just called UV base. Wicked colors, UV base. Okay. Yeah. So, this is this is the guy that solders stuff this big, but he can't yeah, read right. the label. Eyes are shot, and I got I got part of my light shut off, so I'm not over firing you guys. But I can get right up in the camera if you want. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Anything that glows, I'm there. I'm there. The problem with a lot of it is that unless it if it's if you want it to be invisible, you don't have a lot of choices. Like the UV material that I use, it's blue. And that's all there is. That's yeah. all as Matt talked to one of the companies out there that makes that kind of stuff. And the guy said, Yes, I can make you whatever color you want to. And you have to buy a 55 gallon drum of it. And it costs 25 or it costs twelve thousand five hundred and eighty-two dollars. <laughs> oh Jesus. Any color you want. So I'm like, nope. So kind of limited color-wise. There's that ignite material, but ignite is very colorful when just in, you know. In broad daylight and then when you hit it with uv light it glows up like a christmas blows up like a christmas tree or a neon light and where did the uh 
half I and and again if there's a name for it God correct me please the half Frankenstein half Frankenstein skull where did that come from uh, it's called split, split. Um, that's just something that fascinated me early on I had asked Brian McGuire to sculpt the original skull he sculpted mm-hmm. me two different Frankenstein skulls the second one was way better and he's missing some teeth there because Karloff was missing some teeth right he pulled his bridge work out so his face would suck in. And I asked Brian to do that for me. I said, I want this to be Karloff's head, though. I don't want it to be just a Frankenstein. It needs to be Karloff's head in there. Mm-hmm. So sculpted it for me, and I I sold it, you know, on a you know on a little stand that uh, I think there's a picture of one of those in there. It's like a piece of film strip. Um, I belong dead is one of the ways that I sold that but essentially it was just a you know a a skull mounted to a machine of some sort of simple machine and then I had that for a long time and then um I got I saw something that Thomas Kuntz did he did Lady Bathory whatever and he split her face so it's a skull on one side and Lady Bathory on the other side and I was like that'd be cool with Frankenstein so uh Brian did not have the time to work on that. And I got hold of uh, Randy Lambert at Matt's suggestion. I got hold of Randy Lambert and he was the one that added that to it. And Randy does some really bang up stuff. Uh, really good, you know, universal monster likenesses and all that stuff. Really another person that was really easy for me to deal with. Did you get a lot of time to build your own model kits or cause you, you forward some of that. What do you like to build when it's your own free time when you're not doing, or is this kind of like, this is my, this is what I like building is the doom boxes and stuff. I don't get enough time to build my own model kits. I have a lot of model kits. I tend to be selective about what I buy. I don't want every, I don't feel the need to have every kit that's out on the marketplace. Um, mostly I buy specialized resin kits. I have a, a bunch of uh, John Dennett's little, his, he has a bunch of little mini that he did that were all characters that he created like those a lot um i just picked up a um i just picked up a nosferatu i think it was an afm thing this guy oh okay yeah i remember that one on the uh, on the boat deck it comes with metal hands and all that i got a really good deal on this about a week ago cool that's why it's got the steering wheel for the ship right i have a um I bought the I bought the latest Enterprise model from Polar Lights, from Discovery. I really like it. Monster, is it big? Is that one big or no? It's as big as the original AMT. Oh, okay, so it's not too big. Eighteen inches long. They made a couple. They made some really small ones that were eleven or twelve inches long. I was like, eh, I don't care. And I'm going to paint it the way I want to paint it. Well, it's probably not going to be copper, but. Oh, no copper. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that, that model kit, they want you to buy a, a set of decals that are they, they, it's what called it's called uh, Aztec. Mm-hmm. An Aztec paint job on them. And that's a long story by itself. Go look it up if you really want to know. <laughs> it's something that something really just doesn't do it very much for me. And so that was that's something you can buy as a separate um, aftermarket thing. I should say it's aftermarket. Polar Lights sells it. It's just not included with the kit. And then there's a lighting kit for it. And I actually said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to buy their lighting kit and I'll probably modify a little bit. I'll hack it a little bit and make it better. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. I'm hey. good with I want because I want an easy build. I want something that's not <laughs> like 
absorb me entirely for the next six months. Like, uh, you know, going back to the cosmic ray diffuser, that project took me, took me a year and a half. Wow. And that was intense, a year and a half. I didn't do much other than that project. Hey, Scott's still got you beat. He's working on that tw tiny terror for 21 years. So, but I knew what Strick Fan was. Yeah. So, what? I know what Nurgle is. Do you? No. Anyway, <laughs> your wife, does she support all this? Is she happy that you're in there yes. tinkering around all the time? She does. Um, I would starlighting projects would not exist without my wonderful wife, Marilyn. Oh, that's awesome. Um, she comes to the show. Fantastic. Fantastic. Nice lady. For anyone She's a really nice her. lady. She's a really nice lady. She's my perfect. She's the perfect person for me to be married to. And I, hopefully I'm the per perfect person. Wow. For so she, um, Scott, how come you don't talk about your wife like that? She, she lets me get away with doing the stuff in our shop. Um, she really started the, the day job company that we have years ago. We do manufacturing training as well as prototype uh, assembly for companies. And, and, and do you want to brag on Marilyn's talent that uh, a lot of people maybe don't know? Uh-oh, is this clean? No, no, it's clean. Okay. Scott, Scott, you have no idea. Marilyn's a violin player. She's a singer. She's a guitar player. My wife is a multi-talented. I call her my little underachiever. She everything. In, in her lifetime, she's done everything that I can think of. She goes to France. She knows France. France. She, she goes to Germany. She knows German, German, the German language. And which one were you talking about? Scott? That's a violinist. The viol I know she That's was just a, one. Yeah. Yeah. That's just I, but one. now that you mentioned that, I remember you telling me, I remember more of it as you um, went down the list. I didn't know all of it, but yeah. So, and of course uh, we can't forget the angel that uh, you have money penny money penny money, money penny flux money penny flux yeah so our, our last dog was felix flux he's a, a cavalier king charles spaniel i didn't create the name it's just the breed um so his name was money or his name was felix flux for felix lighter and then money penny is you know obviously named after money penny and flux is basically because we solder and we use flux for soldering it's so there are mascots and she's here most of the time um i bring her to work marilyn takes her home but she's here mostly every day just about and i could i couldn't do without her i'll be heartbreaking when she goes and she's still pretty young and, and when they're at wonderfest they have access to watch her on the camera where they leave her cams. Uh, on the pet yeah, cams. So i've seen her on the pet cams but she's very uh camera shy she doesn't like to come out a lot so. she's She's timid. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. She really, she's gorgeous. Really does nice things for our our happiness. Where are you headed next? More uh, more Godzilla fins? Or so, need to do that? I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Matt, Matt told me no, we're not doing it anymore. He says this is the last time I want to hear you say the words Godzilla to me. Um, I don't know. I have a I have another project. You were talking about three D printing. And I had a foray into something I was doing there. These are little uh, 124th scale walls. This was 3D printed. And this is what the original part looked like. And to do it again, I would not do it again. Oh, it wow. was sort of okay. an experiment. It was playing with materials. Yeah. It, 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 either you got, are you, either of you guys familiar with, the, uh, with the, uh, an art form called lithophane? Lithophanes are, are, are uh, 
something that were done starting around mid 1800s where people would take a piece of uh, porcelain and they would engrave the back of it and then um, very detailed, like they were painting it. And then you backlight it and the image comes through the front and it looks like a photograph. It is not what I was thinking it was, okay. Okay, so that's what a lithophane started off being. Well, people have figured out recently, it's kind of interesting, go look, dig this up. There's video, YouTube videos about it, but um, uh, there's places where you go, which essentially what you do is you take a photograph, you run it through a piece of software that basically converts it into a 3D mesh, and then you can print it, okay? So you can take a 2D image and print it 3D so it's a relief, so it's got thickness to it. Right, okay. And then when you backlight it, you print it in white resin and you backlight it and you can see this very vivid image. Is there a guy doing night lights right now? That is that what he's doing? That's my buddy, Neil. That's Neil. Okay. Yeah. I've seen those. Those are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They're a beautiful thing. There's lots of people doing that kind of stuff, but he's doing it really in the monster world and all that. Um, he, he lives here in Pittsburgh. He's a friend of Brian's and he's a 20 some year old kid that has been a model builder all his life. He's a resin head all his life. And um, so he was doing those and I asked him about them. He asked me to do some lighting for him and he brought it by and he said, oh, have you seen these yet? And he brought, brought some of them with him. And um, I said, well, that's a really cool idea. And I had him print one for me. It's a picture of Henry Frankenstein. And in the background, there's a wall. Mm -hmm. All oh, there's texture. And I was like, I want one. So I sent him the photograph and he printed it, did the conversion to it and printed it. He printed it out for me and I'm like, hmm, I can make walls that way. And so I got hold of a graphics artist buddy of mine and I said, draw me a Frankenstein wall. Well, it looks something like Frankenstein. And he's real familiar with it and Joe Brady. And he's real familiar with the subject and he did it and he textured it and we, printed it and we did multiple different um, experiments with it. This story is going to go right it straight into a brick wall. We did multiple <laughs> experiments with it and I it, it ended up producing these nice little pieces. Okay. And they do have nice texture to them, but they have some striations on them. This is a filament printer. Yeah. Not okay. Resonator. So there's some striations on them. There's, there's growth lines on them. At the end of the day, after doing this for a while, I have these things that look really good from here, you know, from this far away. But if you get right down on them, they're, like, they're, they're almost pixelated. Well, I find a way to get around that. Basically, you blur the picture and then you can print it again and you can make, you can clean this up. After it's all said and done, if I would have started off with a little piece of canvas and some epoxy putty, I could have done that in about three hours, two or three hours. I could have made that in two or three hours. I didn't have to go through all these other steps. Right. Sort of breaking the arm, breaking the, that's not what the what lithophanes are for, you know? Yeah. The thing that's beautiful about it is that I can get anything done that I want. The artist is basically hand drawing these. He uh, imports it into Photoshop and he can manipulate the image a little bit so I can get anything I want, anything. And I don't have to use a, a ZBrush centric you know, right. sculpt to do that. I could take any image of anything and put it into there. Huh. So it was a nice experiment. It was just playing with the materials. Experiments though. are fun. Uh, I, like I like it when I figure out how to, uh, I have an idea. 
going to do it. And I think it through and I go, that's not going to work. I like it when I do that because that gives me more time to do it. <laughs> it's safe. <laughs> I wish I, I did that work. I hate it when I get down that go that path and it just goes crashing straight into the wall <laughs> after I have too many hours in it. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. Anything else you want to add? Talk about, throw up, name drop, shout outs? Um, yeah. There's a couple people I wanted to mention. I talk I talk about Matt most of the, most of this time. Don't anybody call him. Um, nobody call matt i talked about brian mcguire i talked about robert price mark kalen is always a, a really good resource for me george stevenson is always has always been since early on when i was in the garage kit business whatever he's always very supportive of me and always pushes me to when he knows what i'm working on he's always pushed me to do his best work i can so i actually just did something for him cool keep it under the table you may see some point in time uh my mother and my dad i mean there are two people that supported me all, all the time when i was a little kid everybody uh, we have people that outside of our family and say you come from a really bohemian family because everybody in our family has some sort of artistic talent my father used to build models and he, then he started getting into you know doing wood you know wood sculptures and things of that nature my mother basically was a seamstress and you know, sewed from patterns and then started sewing her own stuff. My sister Ann does a lot of stuff in fiber arts. My brother did a lot of artistic stuff. My oldest sister is a landscape artist. And I guess I'm the brat of the family and I do resin model kits and things of that nature. No, don't sell yourself short there, sir. <laughs> you're the strict fan of the yeah. family. Yeah, you're the strict yeah. fan of the family. I, my, you know, my dad was always uh, funny and he always... Uh, was willing to feed my habit of, you know, all these little, all these model kits. When I was having a hard time screaming and crying and pitching a bitch on the floor, my mother would say, just walk away from it for a little bit and you go back to it and it'll be okay. Just give it a rest for a little while. And have you thought about doing this? And so she was always real supportive. And when I talked about my wife a little bit, she is the uh, middle of my universe. Oh. I love her so much. So those are those. If I wanted to talk about anybody that was an artist that inspired me, number one on that list, or one of the number, I don't want to say this because we'll get a big uh, ego, whatever, is Thomas Kuntz. Thomas Kuntz is somebody that I really admire. I want, he's my dream guest right now, actually. I want to get him on here. I hope you can get him. Yeah. He's not an easy person to get hold of. Yeah, he's, I know. Because he's busy. Second off, I was like, I don't think he wants a whole lot of limelight. I know. I know. I've, talk to him he was kind enough to come to uh when he was at uh, wonderfest mm, last year um i talked to him for a little bit i walked up to his table and i introduced myself to him i had my strict fad and shirt showed him and he says i know who you are and <laughs> stuff that's really great and uh so that just made me happy that this guy even knew who i was but he talked to me for quite a while and gave me some insights into some things I said Robert Trock, uh, Matt Jeffries had designed the Enterprise. I'm sorry, we're getting way off. Oh no, that's. <laughs> and then, well, the last person's Jimi Hendrix. Guy played music from his soul. Yeah. I don't know who Jimi Hendrix is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you don't know who Jimi Hendrix is. I'm totally no, joking. I know who that guy is. No, but he's probably crying about Van Halen today. But you no, I'm not. I don't. Is. No. No. Okay. No. Jamie is not me. Okay. Um. Matt, 
and, and we talked about this off camera. I, I'll never forget really the first time I got to know you a little bit. What did, what did I do? I was such a terrible, I was such a shit to you. Uh, Cause I remember you were looking, you were trying to get out of Wonderfest by a certain time. I just kept walking by. I'm going, it's almost that time. Almost that time. <laughs> we were talking about getting out at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. We'd be back in Pittsburgh, you know, by that evening so that we could do stuff on Tuesday and all that. That was Sunday. And, uh, Scott was sitting, sitting with his, watching us, sitting with his feet up on the table. We're trying to move boxes. And I was like, could you help me move this box? And he was like, mm, no. No. <laughs> no, I really can't. Yeah. That's when his feet came up on For the twice table. Twice a month, I mean. Thanks, Scott. And he just kept beating me and beating me and beating me. And that's when I didn't like you. That's when I knew there was a reason why. Hey, hey, but I think I did carry a box eventually. Okay, I think I did. did. After after much goading and beating, I had to hit him with cloud a couple times. <laughs> Most of that's a joke. It was all good. But we were having a lot of fun. Marilyn was laughing at me. And, uh, yeah, oh, really man. good time. Scott, do you know you don't. Scott, you have no idea what he's going to do to you if he gets a hold of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many people have probably said that about him? It's funny. Oh man, I'm a kinder, gentler Scott. Now you are. Yes. Yeah. Matt and I spent a lot of uh, Saturday night at Jersey Fest just hanging out, bullshit, and um, it was a good, it was a good session there. Yeah, and that was a nice uh, I thing. Sat that they had there. Of, I sat down at a group of, uh, at a table with a group of people that I generally hang out with, and it ended up mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Jersey Fest is a good show. I don't know, right, Jason. Have you been yet? I went to Resentopia once. I have not been out there for that. Yeah, the vibe it. Uh, the Jersey Fest is a lot different. The people are much more of a family-oriented group. And cool, yeah, I'd like to go one of these days when we warm. have shows again, if ever. With next all this year. stuff going on, next so. year. Well, Matthew, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a blast. You're, you're very welcome. I appreciate you having me. And we're back. How about that, Matt Lawrence, Scott? He, he's a maniac. He's a <laughs> uh, he's the strict fan of the hobby. Oh, I finally learned what a strict fan. <laughs> yeah. So next time you watch Young Frankenstein in the yeah. opening credits, they, he, there's a thank you to Kenneth Strickfadden for lending the original Frankenstein lab equipment. Let's say I've watched that. I don't know how many times as a kid. I would never have even remembered that. Yeah. Like ever. So. And we discussed a book. Um, that was out and uh i did find it i couldn't find it prior to us talking but there is one book out i don't know how good it is i i bought it just because there's yeah cool sketches and stuff in there so um yeah it was very interesting hearing that story but matt stuff i was i when 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 i walked past his booth at wonderfest you know it's one of those things it looks amazing it looks cool and you just think, oh, he's selling kits of these little things. And some of them, yes. But those Doom boxes, those are all one-off for people, like, custom-made. Like, I did not know that. And that kind of, you'll see, like, you saw in the video, I was blown away. I didn't know he was just doing, I thought he was making one, repo, 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 and then, no. It's all, like, great guy. And the hobby needs more people like that doing original, cool things. Mm-hmm. And 
I hope someone got something out of that. At least if anything, you're inspired to make something. Right. It was interesting that, you know, being a mold maker and, and having my own kits, I would go through the same thing. I would make a mold of something. I would make it work. And then I would get bored with it. It's like, ah, let's do something else. You know, and when I was making kits to just sit there and make the same kit eight or 10 times to bring to Wonderfest, it was like, ah, oh, it was boring. It, it made me crazy. Um, it was cool. You know, like I, I know you came over a few times and I had parts yeah. just laid out all over the table and stuff, but it's. So then maybe the, I mean, maybe you're not a caster. Maybe you're a mold maker, right? Well, the thing, the problem with that is I can work with my molds, but a lot of people can't, yeah. you know, um, a lot of people, um, I remember, and, and I'm not trying to shed a bad light or anything, but I remember John Tucky got some molds that Brokaw had given him and he had a hard time with them. Now I had gotten some molds Brokaw made for Robert Tundy and I had no problem with, with Mark's mold. So it, it's, it's the person. You yeah. know, it's how you're used to doing things and, you know, you make it work for you, but that doesn't mean it's going to translate to working for the next guy. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our mailbag. <laughs> we're gonna, do we call it? No, we're not going to call it mailbag. It's, as always, emails and corrections. Do we have any corrections from last week? Not last week, but last episode. I don't think so. Other no, than we are sorry about the length. We yeah, understand that. Say that. We're, yeah. we're trying. Like we said, we're trying to keep these shorter, but it's hard because we Let's like blame to talk. Phil. It's Phil's fault. So your fault, yeah. Phil. And we sorry. loved it. Like everything Phil did. Great. It's just hard to edit that down sometime when there's so much good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, we are going to try and get stay closer to about an hour and a half. I think we're close to that. We're probably a little over, but um yeah, bear with us. We're learning. And as far as emails go, speaking of Phil, we love Phil because he's the one that sends us emails. Uh, he sent us some model kits of his to share. Towards the end of your podcast, some photos of really old rare figure kits that I built and were produced by Lunar Models way back when. They are three kits of creatures from the movie Angry Red Planet. Three-Eyed Martian, Rat, Bat, Spider, and Giant Amoeba. So check these out. They're from Phil. And they're pretty cool. I well, never now seen... if we want to know what happened to Phil's hair, we can see. It's yeah. on the, uh, <laughs> I've never seen player. this giant amoeba kit before, I don't think. No, I haven't either. I haven't seen either of those other two. I, I've seen kits or figures of the other, yeah. but I've never seen these two. So. He also says a little history. Mike Evans ran Lunar Models, and sometimes after he closed up shop, he started another figure model company called Alchemy Works. So thanks for a little history lesson. Uh, we actually had an email to read. That's great. Phil would be our history teacher. Yeah, he will. When I couldn't fill in, he would be our history teacher, maybe. Oh, did you see the pun in there? Phil, fill in. Anyway. Fill in. We filled in. Uh, Um, Yeah. No shout out to Charlie Robson this week because he didn't comment on our last video first time. So now Charlie hates us, apparently. So um, because Trevor has now taken over as the number one commenter, maybe we'll make Trevor the uh, fan club president. (laughs) Trevor, you're in. All right. You're out, Charlie. You're out. You're out, Charlie, unless you, you better start kissing up, pal, I'll tell you. So, uh, And uh, a scheduling thing, we are going to try and squeeze another episode in here by the end of the month. Uh, but if it doesn't happen, it'll be out November. So we'll see what happens this month. Anyway, thanks for joining us on Model Club TV. 
This has been episode eight. Scott, you want to say goodbye? I don't want to say goodbye. Let's just talk forever. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.